podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? Spectacular and of a sunny disposition. How about yourself? Jesus, what? you must be going to the holiday, are you? <laughs> um, no, not yet. No. <laughs> not, not yet, he says. Um, Carl, we are here today to do a bit of a bonus pod. There's not a whole lot going on in the Liverpool sphere. Uh, other than the, the usual transfer rumours and gossip, obviously our season came to a disappointing end. Mm. Um, I have talked today on Two Footed about tomorrow's FA Cup final and how I feel like the FA Cup has lost much of its lustre and how it, it upsets me because I grew up with the FA Cup being such an important part of the season. And I always loved the build-up to the FA Cup final. But I, I more so, I loved third round Saturday was such a big thing. And on through fourth round, fifth round, quarterfinals, semifinals, etc. Semifinals been played at neutral venues were always great. And then the build-up to the final would be huge. And it really did feel like a massive thing to win the FA Cup back then. And obviously we didn't have a huge amount of success. We won it in 92, then we won it again in 01 and 06. Other clubs managed to win it more often. But a couple of questions to you. Do you miss the FA Cup having such significance? Because you would have grown up around the same generation as me. And secondly, what's your favourite favorite Liverpool FA Cup final and favourite non-Liverpool FA Cup final? Ooh, um, but yeah, I mean, I've always been big into the cups to be honest I know a lot of people don't really like them that, that much but I always like a good cup run basically um, I like to go quite deep into the competitions and I think that the you know once you get to even the quarterfinals I think it just feels so close to the possibility of a trophy I don't really get the disdain for it especially by that point um, I mean I think playing the lower league sides is always an intriguing thing one because you get to see different players of your own team and too obviously because you you get that whole atmosphere of the visiting fans if they're coming to Anfield on a you know stadium they wouldn't normally travel to and the players play out of their skins because it's you know their one shot basically if they're coming from League Two or whatever to to play at Anfield um, and similarly when you have to go away and it's on telly you get the really weird camera angles and the ground looks like you know a herd of bulls have been charging all over it all morning all that kind of stuff and it is just part of you know nostalgia really isn't it that that aspect of something like you say that you've grown up with. So yes, for me, um, I've always liked them. There was a, a bit of a spell, I think. I'm not really sure when exactly. Um, sometime after it went back to Wembley, I think. after. Yeah, that's my thinking as well. After 
it was big at Wembley. It was huge at Cardiff because it, it just felt like more fun for whatever reason. Yeah. When it went back to Wembley, it just didn't seem the same. No, it didn't. Um, and uh, to be honest, I, I'm, I know the reasons for it, but I, part of what I think it is is because the semis are there as well. It just yeah. doesn't feel quite as much on the day. I know it's, it's obviously great for people to go to Wembley, the fans and everything, I get it, but I think getting to Wembley as the final, as the you know the playoff final, the League Cup final, those things kind of matter more because it is getting to Wembley. That is the destination rather than going there for the semis and then going again. I, I also used to like having the semis at, you know, neutral venues, not just not at Wembley, but just at a, you know, a big random stadium somewhere else in the country. It was also part of the build-up. And, you know, one game away from home, but also away from home for them. And if you want it, you get to go to Wembley. So it's definitely something that I would prefer to see. But again, you know, we understand the reasons, the, the costs of the stadium and all that. They're not going to stop doing it now. Um, just hold more one. concerts there during the year. There's the answer. Hold, <laughs> yeah. Go and beg more artists to play there during the year. I think favourite Liverpool one. I think it would probably be the um, West Ham one, just for the nonsense of it, to be honest. The 06 final. Yeah. The Gerrard final. The Gerrard final, yeah. Um, yeah. Just for the all-round craziness of it, probably. Yeah, that was a, a very strange game. Pepe Reina had... Maybe the worst game I'd ever seen a goalkeeper have for us to that point, other than like, you know, the David James era, which just needs to be forgotten about entirely. But Reina was at fault for both of their goals. Um, and Gerard was just otherworldly. The assist for Cissé was ludicrous. The first goal was great. The second goal remains maybe the best goal ever scored in the cup final. And it was because yeah. he couldn't run. There was the only reason he was that deep is because he couldn't run because his legs had gone. Um, yeah, and then obviously into into penalties and and Pepe made a uh, made amends. I've always loved the Owen final of 0-1 because that Arsenal team were so much better than us. It was ridiculous, and they battered us for the majority of that game. Stefan Ancho made some big saves using his hands. And we had no right to win that game at all. And obviously we'd beaten Birmingham and won the League Cup. We managed to win the FA Cup and obviously we would go on and complete the treble, beating um, Alaves in Dortmund in the UEFA Cup final. But there was just something about that Owen final, the, the improbability of it. And I think the way he scored the winning goal as well was that that one to me has always stood out. But I love the 92 final as well because yeah, it was the first, it's the first Liverpool final I can really remember. I I don't remember. I've like, I've watched the nine, the 89 final, but yeah. I don't remember it from the time. Yeah. And I was too young to remember um, 86. So uh, 92 is the first Liverpool final that I have clear memories of. Yeah, I remember the um, 89 final and I do love the game, but I find it tough to put that one obviously as your favourite one because of obviously everything that goes on around it. But mm. I do remember watching that one with my dad. I think that's basically the earliest one I can remember watching on TV at home with the family sort of thing. So I do remember that game and I watched the video of it about 700 times in the years after that, I think. So um, that one does stick, but like I say, can't can't really put that one as the favourite, I don't think. Um, no, no definitely outside not. of Liverpool favourite non-Liverpool final 
I mean, to be honest, I always find them, I know it's obviously a stupid thing to say because I've got a vested interest in it when Liverpool are in it, but I don't always find them all that exciting when Liverpool aren't in them. A lot of the times I find it quite slow or stodgy or to, to sort of get started really as a, a spectacle. I think probably the Arsenal whole one off the top of my head is the only one I can think of, which was, you know, a bit of madness about it. Um, a bit of surprisingness. I can't, like, like that whole period of Wembley when like Chelsea and Arsenal were getting there nearly, or Chelsea at least were getting there nearly every year was was fairly dull finals for the most part. Mm. Um, prior to that, prior to the Millennium Stadium, one of the Newcastle finals was quite good. I think it was the Arsenal one, maybe. 98. Was that Arsenal yeah? beat them too. Oh yeah, the, the, the double, yeah. The double-double. Mm. Um, I can't really remember another great one apart from that, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Um, I, I, I'd agree that that Arsenal whole game was mental hole or what, 2-0 up within nine minutes or something silly. And Arsenal managed to come back, force extra time and, and go on to win it. Um, I actually... I enjoyed the finals more when we weren't in them from a, from a footballing point of view. Cause yeah. you, when Liverpool were playing, you'd be an absolute wreck. Um, you'd be shaken and all sorts. So I've always loved the, the 91 final, the Gaza final where he blows mm. up his own knee yeah. the year before. I do remember that. That's the first FA cup final. I remember is the three, three. I don't really remember the replay, because it's not a memorable game, but I do remember the 3-3. And I've always loved that. And I've watched that game a few times. Um, prior to the move to the Millennium, I, I think you're right. I think the 98 final was very good. Uh, it's funny, today when I was talking about it on Two-Footed, I, I realised that in terms of doubles in the Cup, or the League and Cup doubles, uh, Preston in... 1889, Villa in 1897, then Spurs in 61, Arsenal in 71, and also in 90, sorry, in 86. It had only ever been done five times. And then between 94 and 0, and 02, we get it five times again. United, United, Arsenal, United as part of a treble, and Arsenal again. So it did become more of a commonplace thing for a team to win both. I'd probably lean on the Newcastle final you mentioned, the Arsenal-Newcastle final as well. That was a good game. The one I remember the most because I was just heartbroken for them was Chelsea 2, Middlesbrough nil, because Borough had lost both cup finals that year and got relegated. Mm. And it what could have been a great season just turned into a an absolute disaster and obviously the reason they got relegated is because they didn't turn up for a league game against Blackburn if they'd just gone and gotten spanked with their under 15s playing they would have stayed up um, so yeah I mean there's, there's been some some good ones down the years but it doesn't feel like we've ever had a truly great FA Cup final in the modern game like the, the Premier League era and after there was a lot of great finals in the 80s. You go back, you watch some of those games. The Brighton United 2-2 is a great game. Coventry Spurs, the 3-2 is brilliant. Um, you know, you can go back before that when Tottenham beat City in the in the replay in 81. That was a, a phenomenal game of football. And it's obviously the the site of the, the Ricky Villa goal that most people will have seen. 
Um, what are you expecting from tomorrow, though? Are you expecting a decent game, or do you think will City just brush them aside on their march to a travel? Um, I think this is the most difficult bit City have got to do off the treble. Um, partly because it's a derby, partly because it's you know the one team trying to stop the other, trying to make the same history they did before, all that kind of stuff of it. Um, but mostly because I think Ten Hag is more capable of setting his team up to frustrate City than anybody else can, um, or you know anybody else they've got to play. Um, <laughs> odds are obviously with City. Let's you know, no no bones about that. But I kind of feel that they might have too much of an eye on the Champions League and maybe this is the one they don't do. So I don't think it'll be a very pretty game. I think it'll be mostly City dominant and United sitting in a fairly deep block. But if United have a couple of their quicker forwards actually properly fit, because, you know, they've been out and they've been back and back out again and Martial's now missing and anti might. So if say Rashford or Garnacho or whatever is having a very good game and can put away one or two of the chances that they do get, then I'd go for a United to take the trophy somehow. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Interesting. Interesting. It's also interesting to me that you think that Ten Hag is more suited to setting up his team to frustrate City than Simone Inzaghi, mm. who I think has done really well this year in the Champions League right, and setting his well. team up appropriately. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of hoping they, they win tomorrow and just their confidence goes through the roof and maybe they start to overlook Inter and maybe Inter can can do what all of us want them to do. Imagine all the whole world are Inter Milan fans. Let me ask you this question, the FA Cup final, before we talk a bit more about that Champions League final. Do you think one of the reasons it's lost some of its luster is because there's so much money in the Premier League and Champions League that there's not nearly as much reason or reward for a team to go and win the FA Cup? They don't get that financial reward. Um, It's definitely a contributing factor, but honestly, I think it's just the fact that the money's already there and other squads are able just to build themselves as much as they need to. I mean, look at the winners over the last, what, decade. Leicester are the only ones in there who you would not expect to be top four. The rest of it is just always, always the same clubs because they have the most money. And, you know, if you get to the final, like Palace did or the whole one that we talked about 10 years ago, nearly now, a decade ago, you know, who, who else has been there in that time? It's so, so difficult just to challenge, you know, Liverpool's second string 
uh, Man City second string, whatever it is, it's it's very very difficult to cope with that, even on a one off occasion. And if you do have to, you know, focus a little bit more to to come fourteenth instead of seventeenth because you need to beat the team around you next week, sort of thing. Why would you bother? Because you know it's so so difficult. So there's not enough reward. I don't think it's just about finance or Europe in terms of the reward that you get, but also just because the finances are there too deep for everybody else above you already. It's really, really difficult. I mean, just if they were to say that fourth no longer gets a champions league spot, that it instead goes to the Europa league yeah, and that the FA cup winner would get, let's, let's say Aramco, the Saudi oil manufacturing company who have uh revenue for the year 2022 of $535 billion. If they were to, to get with the FA and say, look, we'll put up $50 million for the winners. We'll sponsor it. We'll pay you whatever. And we'll put up $50 million because we're looking to do some sports washing. We're going to do some hardcore sports washing here. We're going to put up $50 million for the winner. But we need you to get with the Premier League and agree that the fourth place also gets Champions League, or that the winner also gets Champions League over the fourth place team, which... Personally, I think would be better because I don't think you should be rewarded for finishing fourth. You haven't done anything. All you are is the best of the bad teams. If you could win the FA Cup, get a fifty million pound check on the day, and get a spot in the Champions League, like that's where I feel like they could really make it matter again. But do you not think that that would just lead to more Man City wins, more Arsenal finals, more United finals? No, it, I don't. To be honest, because. I think other clubs would have more impetus to go and actually strive to succeed. One of my biggest gripes with the Premier League is how many clubs are just happy to be there. Mm. You know, they're just happy to be there to collect their TV money every year to finish 17th or higher and just, just exist in the league. They're not trying to thrive and push boundaries. Like, We've just seen a Sevilla team win the Europa League for the seventh time in 18 years. Like, Sevilla aren't a bigger club than Newcastle or Everton or Villa or Leeds. Like, pre that success, they certainly weren't a bigger club than Leeds. But yet they go and have that success. We've seen Villarreal go and have real success and win a major trophy. Eintracht Frankfurt last year, winning a major trophy. There just seems to be more push among other nations to go and have that success. Whereas, like, I look at, with no respect meant, I no, no, no disrespect meant, <laughs> I look at clubs like Crystal Palace, I think, what's the fucking point of you? What are you actually doing? You're just surviving until you eventually go down. And it's the same thing with Southampton. Like, they were just surviving until they went down. And Everton are kind of in that mix now as well, where all they want to do is survive, survive, survive. I know they spent a ball of money on a bunch of crap players, but, you know, there's no there's no real ambition with a lot of these clubs. I look at Brighton and I see a club with real ambition. I see a club in Brighton that actually wants to progress, that wants to push the envelope. You know, I see Brentford maybe doing the same, but I see Wolves. I think, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the point of what? What was the point of Leicester? 
really over the last few years. Like they won the FA Cup and what else did they do? They just sort of hung around. Like you said, Hampton Palace, like I said, these these clubs are just there to make up numbers and they're happy to get their TV money. And there's nothing fun about it. Like, do you remember when Moyes was at Everton and they were just meh every year, but Moyes proved that you don't need trophies to be a winner, but he is a winner. Like, he wasn't a winner. He wasn't a winner at all. He didn't win anything. The whole purpose of it is to win stuff. That's the, that's the aim of the game, is to win games and win trophies. And if you're not in it to do those things, go do something else. So, like, I just want to see clubs like this have more reason to be ambitious, to go and try and win something, to say, do you know what? Fuck it. Rather than finishing ninth in the Premier League, maybe we will finish 16th. But maybe we'll also get into the Champions League. Maybe we can go and win that FA Cup and get that prize money. And that prize money funds our club for a year. And then we can take that money out of the TV money and actually go and buy better players. Like I, I just want to see clubs actually aim for something, not just, oh, well, the aim is to stay in the division. Like, get to fuck. Burnley and Sheffield United are coming up this year and, and Luton. I don't mind Luton. Their first time up, we all expect them to go straight back down. It's great for them to be up. But Burnley and Sheffield United have been in the Premier League for a bunch of years. And what have they achieved? They just hung around and kicked people. And they just survived until they got relegated. Norwich are the same. Norwich Norwich pissed me right off. You come up, you go down, you come back up, you go back down. Like, fuck off and stay down. You're not coming up to try and be ambitious. I don't want to hear from you again, Norwich. And I like Norwich, but they've pissed me off. I want clubs with ambition, Carl. Listen, Sheffield United and Burnley, you've ruined Dave in this lovely sunny day's mood. It's not good enough. We need, we need better from you. Now, come on. As a club, as an entity, come on. This summer, we want a roadmap from you for the next six years and how you're going to achieve it. Come on. Yeah. I want to see real, what is, what is your five-year plan here? Because if it's, you know, eventually reach mid-table, we're just going to automatically relegate you and we're going to bring <laughs> up Coventry and give them a crack at it. Absolutely fair. It, it, it would be quite a nice thing if actually teams, I don't know about had to, but maybe were open enough with their fans to like, you know, publish some sort of a, a rolling three-year plan. Here's where we are. This is what we're aiming for. Now, not everybody can do it by the nature of sport. Some of them will get it wrong and some of them will get it horribly wrong and some of them will think they get it right, but others actually get it more right and then they still lose and go down anyway. That's that's what sport is. But it would be nice to have that plan of what's going to happen, of what they're looking to do. You know what we should do? Here's what we should do, right? <clears throat> if you play a game in the Premier League and you win, you get three points. If you play a score draw, you get one point. If you play at a nil-nil, you get nothing. And if you lose a game, you get minus one point because <laughs> you get punished for losing. And then teams will stop just bending over for Pep Guardiola or trying to park the bus and do stupid things like that. Go and have some ambition. Anyway, Champions League final, Carl. Um, we'll probably get another chance to talk about it before the game. but. This does seem like it might be 
certainly on paper, one of the more one-sided, you know, giant versus, not Minnow, obviously, because it's into Milan, but giant versus a huge underdog that we've had in, in quite a while in this competition. Yeah, I mean, it feels a very one-sided final on, on the face of it, obviously. Um, hopefully, during the game, there are at least moments where that can be equalised a little bit, where you know Inter can play the way that they want to and be capable of the good parts of their game, which there are plenty of good parts, obviously. I don't think that this is a fantastic side by any means. Um, I think that they are fairly fortunate to be in the final in terms of the route that they were able to take. But you're right, they've set themselves up to win the games that they had to play. So one more time, do it again, see how it gets on. Uh, I, I I don't really like this inter side and how it's set up. The individual components are not really tremendous in my eyes, certainly not compared to the last couple of years of mm. Inter. Um, but, you know, that's... Just a symptom of what he's been handed, basically, and, and what came before it. So the sum of the parts is definitely greater than the than the individual pieces. I think that's definitely fair. Like if you look at, say, Conte's team that won the league, it was a better team than this mm. individually and collectively. But they do seem pretty galvanized on it. Would I be right in saying right? So just go back to the finals: Real, Liverpool, Chelsea, City, Munich, PSG. Liverpool Spurs, Real Liverpool, Real Juventus, Real Atleti, Barca Juventus, Real Atleti, Bayern Dortmund, Chelsea Bayern, Barca United, Inter Bayern, Barca United, United Chelsea, Milan Liverpool, Barca Arsenal, Liverpool Milan, Porto Monaco, Milan Juventus. All of those finals felt somewhat even going in with the exception of 05, where we did feel like a huge underdog. Mostly because we were. <laughs> yeah, because we weren't very good. Like, if we're no. all being honest, we weren't very good at the time. No, we were far worse than Inter are now. Absolutely. Agreed. Agreed. So so this would be this would be the biggest sort of lopsided... Yeah, in 20 years, basically. In, in, yeah, in 20 years. Now, before that, obviously, you had Real Bayer Leverkusen. Um, in 02, that was the Real Galacticos. But that was a really good Leverkusen team that yeah. almost won a treble, ended up winning nothing. Mm. But it they were closer to Real than we were to Milan before the game. This does feel like the biggest one since Istanbul, the biggest yeah, gulf so. between the sides. Yeah, I think so, for sure, definitely. Uh, look... I suppose Istanbul is the one, and obviously we're back in Istanbul this time, but Istanbul shows that that over 90 minutes can be closed, especially when the prize is what it is. And, you know, for a lot of the players, it could be their only shot. And there will be nerves for Man City as well. I know they're, you know, talking a great game beforehand about, you know, where we're focused and we're not going to let it go this time. We'll make sure we perform and all the rest of it. And I'm sure that most of them will, but there will be some of them going into that game or when the game starts who still are nervous or, or hesitant or not quite as free playing as they would be normally. Now, a goal is all that that might take to settle down and get rid of all of that. And then they absolutely wipe the floor with Inter. That is absolutely a possibility in this game because there is a gulf between those sides and the quality that they have. But if the first goal goes the other way, if they struggle to break Inter's block down, if you know, a couple of bad decisions go against them, something like that. It not even has to be a goal, but just 
certain spells of the match doesn't go the way that they had planned it out, you never know. No, that's the thing. You don't. The other two times in that period, I would say there has been a significant gap in quality between the two sides are the two years that Chelsea won it. 2012, Bayern were far, far better than that Chelsea team that won it. Chelsea finished sixth in the league that year. And then 2021, City were miles better than Chelsea. And Chelsea ended up winning. So there's there's a huge outlier, which is the Liverpool-Milan one. Then there's two, I think that there was a fairly distinguishable gap between them, 2012 and 2021. And on all three occasions, and I would go back further on that, I'd go back all the way through the 80s. In fact, I'd go back even through the 70s. I don't think there's been as big a gap as there was. Maybe Ajax panic and Ithos, but Liverpool Milan in 05 stands out, and then the two Chelsea ones. On all three occasions, it is the team that was the underdog, the less fancied, the less quality, the worst team that won the final. Is that is that arrogance on one side and fighting spirit on the other, that nobody believes in us type mentality that can just give a team a little bit of extra fight and just drives them on? Because, like, you think back to 2012, everything was in Bayern's favour. The game was in their stadium. They were levels above Chelsea. They battered Chelsea on the night and somehow managed to lose the game on penalties. And then you think back to... Thomas Tuchel, Mason Mount, Kai Havertz up against City who'd just won the Premier League and were comfortably a better team. And yeah, yet I, I on the day... Both. Sorry. No, no, fire ahead, fire ahead. Yeah, I, I think it is a bit of both. I mean, you know, even, a little bit like the FA Cup early rounds that we were just talking about before. That's, that's their final and you know that the fans get up for as much as they can. And the players get up for it and have, you know, the biggest shift of their lives. That's that's what it is, because that's their final. So when you're actually in the final and you know it's just a one-off and you're expected to lose, well, what you got to lose then? You know, if everyone thinks that you're not as good and you know, nobody's gonna say, Oh, that was a terrible performance if you lose two nil, because everyone expects you to lose anyway. So you might as well go out and give absolutely everything. It's maybe, like I said, a one-off shot for some of them. They might not get to play another um, Champions League final. I mean, if I looked through that Inter Milan squad, I, I probably wouldn't have picked out 34-year-old Henrik Mkhitaryan to be playing in a Champions League final anytime soon again. Probably the same for Damian. Um, you know, even look at Andrea Nana. He's a really good goalkeeper, but two years ago, he wasn't allowed to play football anymore. So this kind of an opportunity helps people to raise their game, helps them to have something to absolutely give everything for because it can be the pinnacle of their careers. So there is that side of it. And on the other side, Sometimes, yeah, there's definitely a bit of uh, arrogance and sometimes a bit of overlooking the qualities and sometimes just expecting that you will play your normal game and they don't let you. And then it can get frustrating. And then it can get, you know, overthinking it sometimes and all the rest of it. So basically all the things which we love about sport come into play on this one game, but magnified 10 times over. Yeah. Yeah. Without question. And look, having having lost that final in 0-1, I think largely down to their own arrogance. I do think City 
will have a different mentality heading into this one. I do think they'll be more focused and more aware of the fact that, yeah, you won the league. Yeah, you might have won the FA Cup. You are all conquering. You are the best team. That doesn't mean anything in a one-off final. Like you said, United could beat them in the FA Cup final and Inter could beat them. And then all of a sudden they go from, you know, treble-bound Man City to, oh, they just won the league title again. Well, that's a bit disappointing, isn't it? Like, this is the thing. Those players have won a Premier League this year. And if that's all they end up with, that's a disappointment. It shouldn't be. Like, it really shouldn't be. But this is the ludicrous state of the game and the ludicrous state of, you know, what they've been able to buy themselves into, which is this expectation that they'll just win the league every year and no one can compete with them. But if if they're not winning the Champions League each year, they... I guarantee you internally, it's definitely seen as a disappointment because the whole purpose of that project, the whole reason they went and got those boys from Barca, the whole reason they're paying Pep Guardiola 20 20 million a year to be Manchester City manager and 80 million a year to be the CEO of an Abu Dhabi-based snowplow rental company is to win the Champions League. That's what carries weight for them. That's what they care about is winning the Champions League. Look at PSG. They routinely sack managers who win the league because they care about the Champions League. That's all that matters to these people. And if Pep isn't getting it done, I guarantee there are people within that organization that think this guy is failing. Yeah, I mean, I, I never really like the idea of, you know, if you don't want, if you don't win a trophy, you failed because, you know, there are hundreds of teams enter the competition every single season and only one of them can win it in the end. I think if you get to semi-finals, you've basically done as much as you can. From that point on, it can be ludicrous luck or misfortune or just an occurrence, which means you don't win. Like anything at all can just go wrong or go right on the any given moment in a, in a semi-final or a final. Um, so I don't really like the idea of you know managers failed if they didn't win the Champions League. You know, Pep got to the semi-finals five times or the final three times or something and didn't win it. Unless you could absolutely nail down and say like against Chelsea, lots and lots. I know he completely rejects the idea, but lots and lots of people say that he made the wrong decisions. He he, he sort of went with the wrong tactical approach. And if he did that four or five times and got done by managers who weren't generally speaking not on his level, yeah, you could probably say that he has fudged those moments but would I really qualify that as a failure personally I wouldn't because to get to a final I think is a very very difficult thing to get to a semi-final you're already in the in with a shout um you know it's like finishing second in the league I don't think Liverpool failed when they when they didn't win the league by a point or whatever it's 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 a very difficult thing to do and only one team gets to do it it's not I I will say I I agree they didn't fail but it shouldn't be seen as success. No, it's not success. But like finishing second shouldn't be celebrated. Players. You should be disappointed if you finish second. It's not failure, but it does leave room for improvement. I agree with you. I don't think, I don't think, externally looking at it with a rational mind, like take Pep at Bayern for example. The there is a narrative that Pep failed at Bayern because he took over a team that just won the European Cup. And he didn't win it. But he won three league titles in a row. He's won five titles now at City. There's no way that job can be looked. If he walked away this summer, if they lose to Inter 
and he walks away, you couldn't look at it and say, well, he failed because he didn't fail. He won shed loads. But, but people internally at City, I think, will look at it and say, well, he didn't achieve what we brought him to do. So therefore, he's failed to meet our objectives. Do you know? I just think that's that's sort of the kind of pressure that that City team are under here, where I think internally they know that that's what the whole project is aimed at, is winning the European Cup. Yeah, that is fair. PSG and Man City are basically built for that. Real exist for that, but in a very different way. These two have been built for that. That's that's what they target as their success. On Real, while you met, so sorry, just give me your early prediction because it's still over a week to the game. What's your early prediction for the um, the Champions League final? Yeah, City win. Yeah, I think I'm leaning that way as well. But fingers crossed, fingers crossed, Inter can pull off the biggest upset since Istanbul. Um, in Istanbul, funnily enough, as you said earlier. Right. We mentioned Real. You mentioned Real there. Karim Benzema is leaving Real Madrid and he is likely going to Saudi Arabia to make hundreds of million to play over there. We may well see Lionel Messi go there as well. There's been talk of Luka Modric going there as well. Before I ask you a question I have on the Saudi league, let me ask you a question about Real Madrid. Is the smartest thing they can now do this summer, say to Jude Bellingham, listen, we know we had kind of agreed terms here, but you might just have to stay put for a year. We need to go and buy Harry Kane. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Um... I'm not sure, to be honest. I'm really not sure. I, I I get why they might have to, but I mean, it's Real Madrid. I think they could probably pull an extra 80 million out if they really needed to. Um, you know, some government subsidy to lease part one square foot of their training ground or something they similar. They might have a car and parking space for sale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's mm. happened before, hasn't it? Let's be honest. So uh, I think... I think it would be more beneficial to have that one area of the team locked down, the midfield. You think of how long, I know it's not going to be an exact replica, but how long they've lasted with the current or the, the most recent three in midfield. And that's just brought them success after success after success. If they think that they can do that again with Jude, Chuameni, uh, Camavinga, Valverde, well, 
you get them all in now, you basically haven't got to touch it again for like mm. another eight years. You, know, you can get a forward in who's pretty good and can probably score enough goals to keep them in with the hunt for the title or be in and around the Champions League. Um, there will be options there, but I think that they would probably be able to do both, if I'm being honest. Yeah, they've also got other quality young midfielders like Antonio Blanca, a Blanco, and I know he hasn't worked out well, but I still think he's very talented, uh, René Jesus. So you're right, like if they did add Jude, that's basically the midfield just boxed off for them. No need to touch it or worry about it anytime soon. Um, if Modric does leave, I think I'm right in saying then that that will be all of the starters from all of the Champions Leagues except for Nacho. No, not Nacho, Danny Carvalho. Would he be the only one left that started all five Champions League wins? I think so. Because I think I'm right in saying that... Did Carvajal start all of them or did he miss one of them with injury? He might have gone off Oh, he might have missed some with injury and Nacho started in his place. I think think Carvajal went off in two of them with injuries. Let's have a quick... I'm not sure if he missed one as well. That's a fair point. I think you're right. I think he did miss a final. Um, but yeah, it is it is kind of funny that that team that had been together for so long is now just completely gone. And obviously, it was going to happen with the rages. So he twenty fourteen Carvajal started, played the whole game. Uh, did he miss the final against us in eighteen? Did Nacho start at right back, or have I imagined that? I can't even remember. 2016, Carvajal started, went off on 52 minutes with an injury. 2017, he started and played the whole game. Uh, He definitely started the last final they were in. And then in 2018, I have a feeling he missed this final, but I could have imagined that because (laughs) I've tried to scrub this game from my brain. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, he started them all, and he went off injured after thirty-seven minutes. So he did start all five. Okay, that's a hell of a. It's a hell of a go. It's a hell of a go. What a career! Like he's not a fancy player. He's still only thirty-one. Alex only thirty-one. He's been. Oh Jesus! That guy has got miles on him. He looks like he's about forty. Um. Yeah. So Danny Carvial is the last the last remaining member of the team to start all five. Nacho's obviously been there for all five. And I think Lucas Vasquez was there for four of them, but not the first one. Tony Cruz also wasn't there for the first one, Um, but he did win one with Bayern, if I'm not mistaken. Um, The the first one was the Kadira Di Maria midfield, wasn't it? Yes, exactly. Under, under Carlo. Um, yeah, so an end of an era for Real, potentially. How many goals would Harry Kane score in that team, do you reckon? Because I think he would absolutely fill his boots. Um, yeah, I think he would, well, comfortably get the 30, but I think he'd also make a lot as well, considering how he's linked up at his best with Son. Well, then you put Vinny in, who's even better, even mm. quicker, even more deadly in the penalty box. Over the last uh, 18 months, that could be riotous. 
I saw a stat today that Harry Kane committed double the amount of big chances of Erling Haaland this season and double the amount of total chances, but ended up with less than half the assists, which will just tell you how poor Son and the rest of Spurs' attack was this year. Um, there was no rest of Spurs' attack, let's be honest. No, it was just it was just Harry by himself. I, I, I said months ago the best move for him, in my view, would be Bayern. Because he'd score a boatload and he'd win a boatload. Like he, he, people wouldn't be able to say anything about him not winning stuff anymore. But if Real Madrid come in from, I don't care who else is in, that is the move you make. If it's Real Madrid or Manchester United, it's Real Madrid. If he has the chance to go there, he should grab it with both hands. And if he needs any convincing on why, just look at what they win. Look at who they are. Look at who they've had over the years. If he goes there and can't win a league title or a Champions League, then let the slander commence. But I think that move makes a lot of sense for him. And I I don't think any Spurs fan could hold it against him if he went there. I think if he went to United, you, you couldn't really blame him because obviously Spurs have let him down over the years. But I still think many Spurs fans would hold would hold that against him. I think if he goes to Real, nobody can say a, a single word against him. Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't be anyway. If he chooses to go, he's been kept there longer than he wanted to anyway. And sounds like promises have been broken. So, But we know what football fans are like. Yes, lunatics. Um, just quickly on the Saudi League, because Guy asked me this yesterday and I wanted your view on it. The Saudi signed Cristiano... They're looking like they're going to get Benzema. They want Modric. They want Messi. They've been linked to a couple of others. Neymar's name's been thrown around. Is this, in your view, a play to get a World Cup or a real attempt to build a league? Because what my view was, if they really wanted to build a league, what they would do is they would set up real pipelines of talent from all over Asia, Africa, South America, and Europe. They go and they get not the elite level players and not the players at the top clubs, but players from the next tier, like your mid-table players, and they bring them over and they create a competitive league. That's how I would view if they wanted to build a real league. So do you think this is an attempt to build a league or just an attempt to get attention and potentially get a World Cup in... I don't know, 2034, maybe. Uh, this is an attempt to buy a league. This is not the way you build a league. You don't bring in people for two years when you haven't got any infrastructure to support longer term development. And they haven't. Simple as that. They haven't. Um, look, remember, what is it now, 15 years ago, something like that, when the first players started going for bigger money to China and the Chinese Super League? And what you would end up with is a couple of players in the team who were exceptional playing with people who couldn't pass them the ball. Mm. And that's what they had. And there was supposed to be lots of development. There was supposed to be lots of uh, younger players coming through. And there was supposed to be lots of uh, plans put in place for, you know, real growth of the game from very, very younger uh, players and less um, well-to-do regions and all that kind of thing. And it didn't really happen that way at all. You still get clusters of, um, wealth and 
players joining the same teams and all that kind of stuff. And obviously, in the end, the, the money disappeared and the rules changed and everything else. And so China never became a very big league. It never became a very strong competitive league, which can put forward people to win their own regional um, uh, Asian Cups. It was it was never anything which has led to the betterment across over a decade of the national team. Um, this isn't the way that you build a league. It's just not. It's been shown over and over and over again. It happened in Russia with certain individual teams. It happened in America first time around. This isn't yeah. the way you build a league. You have to have an infrastructure. If you are genuinely wanting a long-lasting league, look at Australia and how long it's taken them to get it sorted out properly to a point where finally some of their teams can compete when they play in the Asian um, competitions. How long it's taken... Even the MLS. MLS is like, I think, a a perfect example of how it needs to be done. Yes, they've taken big stars, but it's come at really, really big growth of the league as a whole. Mm. And it's come with a pipeline of progression. And not just MLS, but um, the United States Soccer League as well underneath it with the uh, different model that they have in terms of being able to recruit players and sell players on themselves, uh, which you can't do in MLS. Obviously, it's central contracts there. So it's it's the American game as a whole has been able to improve quite dramatically. But again, it took it three goes, basically, to get to this point. And when they tried this way, the Saudi way, first time around, it didn't work. It never works, not on a long-term basis. They'll get a couple of years out of each of the players and they'll be playing with dross. Yeah, and eventually the people funding it will just get bored because nobody will be paying attention to it. Like one of the big problems with the MLS for years was that nobody cared. People just looked at me, what is it? Is it what now? No, no, it can't be ours. To watch a game and like uh, you mentioned that the Chinese league was the best example. You, you, you absolutely nailed it with the first call. You'd watch a game, you'd see three or four players on the pitch who could actually play at a high level. And you'd be thinking like, them boys should still be in Europe. And then there'd be like some plumber pay, playing in central midfield, just running about and booting. You know the ad, I think it's for um I think it's for beer or something with Peter Kay, where there's lads playing keepy uppies and he just comes in and boots it up in the air. Like that was basically what it was. There'd just be lads running around, booting the ball into the stands, unable to actually play the game. And then the camera would pan. And you'd have, say, Marcello Lippi stood in the, in the dugout earning 30 million a year to be there and just completely baffled by what he'd seen because these guys couldn't play football. And if you watch that Saudi league, there's lads there that can't play. There's lads there that are school teachers and electricians and whatever else to do. And they play a bit of football with their friends on a Saturday. And all of a sudden now their kickabout with their mates has Cristiano Ronaldo playing. And, you know, unfortunately for him, there's moments in the game where he actually fits in with them. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think it's just a stupid way to try and, and do whatever it is they're trying to do. Right. We had some questions uh, that you asked for the other day. So we have a question from Tom, a question from Arman, and a question from the Mauritian one. Sandeep asked about the director of football. We have talked about that. So we'll leave that one for today. Let's go with Arman's question first. You can only sign five players this summer. 
And each one of them must be from a different league. Now, I will let you pick your own leagues. I've picked my five players. Who would you sign? Um, I believe I will start. I mean, there's there's no there's no detail here, so I'm assuming that we're not actually going to get all five players, and I can just go big for one player from each league. Is basically how I've decided it works. Right. Um, I am starting in Italy. I've changed my mind 17 times, but I'm going to go back to Ismail Benasseh. I think he would fit us quite nicely. And given that I want some balance there in in one of those midfield roles of someone who is defensively very, very competent, has good athletic ability, and technically is excellent, I think he fits the bill for me. Okay, I've gone... I'll do mine as well while you're doing yours. Um, from I, I went for Italy as well, and I went for Alessandro Bastoni, who I think would fit like a glove on the left side of this back three thing that we're playing. Um, I actually don't think there's a better option than him. Um, I think he, I think Levi Colwell is is outstanding prospect, but he's still quite unproven. Bastoni has proven to me as one of the best defenders in the world. So he would be my one from Italy. Uh, where are you going on the map next? Um, let's go to Spain for the next one. There are, I think, limited players in La Liga at the minute who we can reasonably get because either um, funds they are good enough and they don't play for, you know, first team for Real or Barca. Um, beyond that, I don't think that there's loads and loads of players Liverpool could or should get, but one of them at Barca who we have been linked before and I think would still work very, very nicely in the new system is Rafinha and he's rumoured to be on the exit list. I think if he is and the price is reasonable, that's still one we might pursue or might be wise to pursue. I don't think we will. I love Rafinha. I, I absolutely do. If I could take anybody from La Liga, it would be Fede Valverde. Um, I just, I think he'd be unbelievable in the new shape, the old shape, any other shape you want. But I didn't pick somebody from um, from from La Liga because I, I just, I'm just not all that enthused about La Liga right now. So I went to the Eredivisie instead, mm. and I came back with Lucharel Gertruda, who is the right black slash midfielder at Feyenoord, who I think would be a great Trent cover, nice. who could also play as the right-sided centre-back if Ibu was out. I think he could play in the number six position because he has played there before if we were stuck. So I think he would be a very valuable utility player who we could find plenty of games for. And I've just been really impressed with him under Arnie Slot. I really like how Slot has used him. So I've gone for him and I think he's one that we actually could get because I don't think he'd be very expensive at all. I have an area divisive player, so might as well stay there. Um, don't really need to explain too much about this one. Mohamed Kudus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's no argument from me on him. He is, he is explosive. 
So uh, I would absolutely be be on board with him. Um, I'll go to France next. I just went for Kefren Turam because I have fallen in love with Kefren Turam over the last little while and the links to him excite me greatly. I think he would be incredible. That right-sided eight in front of Trent to give the defensive cover, but also what he can add on the ball with his ability to carry through phases. I think he'd be brilliant. So I'm gone for him. And Tura. My fourth one, Kefren Tura. Yes, perfect. So I've stolen <laughs> yours. Um, next then, I've gone to Germany and I've come home with Manu Kone because I just think he makes loads of sense. And again, he's one we're being linked to. And I really do think he makes a ton of sense because if you want to play the double pivot, he can play in the pivot with Trent. If you want to flick the midfield from a box to a diamond, having him and Kone, or him and Kefren rather, as the engine, as the ball winners, as the Seydorf and Davids of the modern day, I think that's really, really good. And frankly, every time that boy has played against Jude Bellingham, he has made Jude Bellingham look very, very ordinary while looking absolutely outstanding himself. And I think if you showed somebody who didn't know who either player was but had a good grasp of football, showed them basically any game that those two have gone head-to-head in and said, tell me which one of them is a £100 million midfielder, I'd be shocked if they weren't pointing at Kone and laughing at the idea that Jude... Now, I think Jude is outstanding, but Kone has dominated him when they've played. Yeah, I mean, he's been on my wish list for a while now. I think last summer was the first time probably brought him up. Um, Just while we're on Bundesliga, which is where my last one is as well, what do you think or what do you make or what do you completely pay no attention to the rumours of Joshua Kimmich? To us or leaving in general? Well, both, but us primarily. Okay. Um, my view on on the saga itself is that it would be very unusual for Bayern to let a German leave in their prime if they felt like there was a couple more years to get out of them. <clears throat> they genuine, generally prefer to keep those players, especially players that they view among their sort of leadership group, they generally tend to keep them. That's why we've seen Thomas Muller stay so long and we've seen others stay so long over the years. I could understand if he wanted a new challenge. He is 28. I think he's got two years left in his contract. So if they decide to extend him, they're extending him into their 30s, into his 30s, which they might not want to do, but it is the norm of what they have done. But I could see him wanting a new challenge. He is, like I say, 28. He's been at Bayern now for eight years. And he has accomplished everything he set out to accomplish. He's won a league title every single year he's been there. He's won three German Cups. He's won a Champions League. He's won a FIFA World Cup. There's nothing more he can accomplish at Bayern. Like he's already written his name into the history books there. For us, in this new shape, I don't think he makes sense. I don't think a Kimmich 
Trent pivot works. I think there's too much overlap between them. I think in the old shape, Kimmich on the right of a midfield three with Trent at right back, I think they would have been really, really good together. And if we were considering going back to that, I'd be in favour of it. But I don't know that it makes a lot of sense for the, the new shape. No, I mean, it feels like almost, the, the, especially the holder midfield, I don't see him in. I think it would be either the eight or the actual Trent role, which is obviously him going back to two positions he's filled previously. So I, I, I don't really see it. I don't see him. I don't see a sign in both Thiago and Kimi. Let's put it that way from them in the space of a couple of years. So it feels like a, a weird one anyway. Um, yeah, in the new shape... I, the- as the right side at eight, the the advanced right side at eight, I I could see him working there. Yeah, like the thing with with him is when he was a right back for me, he was the best right back in the world. I thought he was unbelievable, like brilliant defensively, great on the ball. As a midfielder, I just think he's very very good, but I've never watched him in midfield and thought that's one of the five or six best midfielders in the world. Like, I think he's a better right back than he is midfielder. And, and I, again, he's a very, very, very good midfielder. It's not like there's a flaw in his game or anything. I just don't think he's quite as good there as he was at right back. And it is noticeable that when Hansi Flick decided to make a change in midfield, he just moved him back to right back and put Goretzka in with Thiago. And that was the double pivot that went and won them the European Cup. And I've never really enjoyed the Kimmich-Goretzka pairing. I just don't think it works well enough. There's been talk of them getting Declan Rice. I I don't know that Rice and Kimmich would really inspire me a whole lot. Fair enough. I, I don't know. I, I I love him as a player, but I, if we were buying him, like if we were buying him and going to a four box two and putting him at right back, great. Yeah, sign me up. Absolutely. I'll take that. For going back to 4-3-3, put Trent back at right back and put him right side in midfield and just have them interchange so there's always cover at right back and one of them is forward and one of them is, is holding. Absolutely. But I, he, what would he cost? What would the wages be? I'd imagine he's going to want huge wages. This is probably his last big contract, mm. whether it's from Bayern or somebody else. So for me... I, <laughs> I just don't know that it's like we're already an old team. And I'd rather we focus in on buying players that are sort of, you know, 22 yeah. to 25 rather than 28 turning 29 in eight months, that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, who have you got? Who have you got as your fifth player then? Say one you picked for your fourth. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. 
you can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Coney. Yes. Perfect. Right. <clears throat> so my fifth, I just went for England. And because it looks like we're signing him and I'm, I'm fully on board, I just went for Ali Mack. And that's what I've decided to call him from now on is Ali Mack. Because, you know, he's got some, some Irish heritage, some Scottish heritage. But I think McAllister's a really good get for us. Um, so I've actually just picked three of the players that were very strongly linked with. One that I think makes a ton of sense in Gertruda. And the one that I think would be perfect in the other big problem position for us, that left side centre-back role, I don't think we'll even consider Bastoni. I don't think you'd get him out of Italy, to be honest. Um, but he, given I'd already used up um, Germany, I could have gone for an Ashio, I suppose. Um, and I, I would have... Uh, Colwell would be my pick after him. But... Uh, yeah, I just I just went for Bastoni. Yeah, and a TV lawyer in Ali McBeal. Exactly, exactly. Right, moving on. The Mauritian one asks, choose two LFC players from every decade, 1950s to present. That's 16 players in total to make up a starting 11 plus five subs. And who would be your ideal manager? How do you think they would fare in today's Premier League? So have you... Have you done this or are you going to spitball this as we go? I was going to spitball it as we go. Right, I'll do I'll do the same because I haven't done it either. I mean, um, we could do it. We could do it on a separate pod if you want to be, do a bit more in-depth on it as well. Because we are about already over the hour anyway. We so are. Let's let's do that as its own pod because we could do it in a bit more Champions League coverage late next week. Yeah. Right, we'll do that then. Um, so we'll go to Tom's question. And Tom has asked... There's five parts to this. Four of them are quick and one will require a little bit of thought. Hmm. Simple first question. Mason Mount or Erkin Kaku? So we spoke about Kochku a couple of weeks ago and uh, you were very, very high on him and hmm. I hadn't really watched enough of him. So I bowed to your um, absolute wisdom. And I also haven't really wanted Mason Mount because I just don't think he fits. So I'll stick with the lesser known Kochku. Have I... Told you my theory on Mason Mount. Uh, potentially not. So, do you remember before the summer, like before all the transfer rumors started gaining traction, the journalists that covered the club were saying, you know, Mount and Bellingham, they're the two Klopp wants in midfield. It's Mount and it's Bellingham. And then all of a sudden, Alexis's name appeared. And then it was, oh, it's Alexis and Mount. It's Alexis and Mount. It never sat right with me that Alexis would be the alternative to Jude Bellingham because they're just such completely different players. Now, Kefran Turan strikes me as a Jude Bellingham alternative plan. 
I think we pivoted away from Mason Mount to McAllister. And I think rather than him picking United or Arsenal over us, I actually, and maybe this is just me trying to convince myself, I think we picked Alexis McAllister over him. Well, if that is the case, I think we've absolutely made the right decision because I think McAllister's a far, far better fit for us. Yes, see, so do I. Right. Jude Bellingham or Nicolo Barella? Urgh, Jude. Even though Barella is obviously the superior overall footballer, I don't think he's had the greatest season, assuming he goes back to his best he is better at the minute than Jude is at the minute, mm. but I think Jude can go higher and Jude is for longer. So I would still go Jude. Yeah, Jude has a higher ceiling and Jude has much more runway in front of him. I think Barella's 26 this year. So, you know, he's he's great, but yeah, it is if, Jude. If we, I would say if we were winning right now this season, I would probably go Barella to keep that going. But we're not, we're rebuilding. So I'd go Jude. Yeah, because he's more ready-made to, to contribute to continued success. That's fair. Manuel Ugarte or Romeo Lavia? Mm, tricky one. <laughs> uh, I think Lavia could be really, really good. Like I think sensationally Lavia good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, Ugarte is better now. Yeah, of course, yeah. And he's more dynamic and he is more of a bastard ball winner type, which is more of what I would like if I, if we were buying a six. But like Lavia in, in a really bad Southampton team, he really did stand out. And um, Sam Ty obviously works for Saints for the magazine and has watched a lot of their games this year, if not all of them. And he just glows about this kid. And, you know, when he was at City in their academy, you kept hearing about this kid that he has. He is going to be the best defensive midfield player in, in the world. He's unbelievable. He's 16. He's incredible. He's 17. And without kicking a ball in the Premier League, he went for the best part of 15 million. And City insisted on putting a 40 million buyout or buyback into that deal, which told you how highly they rated him. And he didn't disappoint I would probably go Ugar because I do think he helps more now, but I think Lavia will be the better player. Fair enough. Right, final one then. Kefren Turam or Manu Kone? <laughs> Kone has been the one that I've been had in my mind really for, well, like I said, over a year that we should really be getting anyway. But it depends where you're going to use him because if it's the right-sided one, I think Turan might be the more ideal fit for what he can bring on the ball as well. There is only one correct answer to this question, Carl. Only the one, one. you've fallen in love with this week. No, the answer is both. The answer <laughs> is to sign both because we need both. Well, we do, yes. We need Manu's ball-winning and aggression and just ability to cover ground and do everything he does defensively while also being good on the ball. Now, he needs to improve his passing, but that's fine. That will come. And we need Turam's ability to carry the ball, link play, play quick one-twos and transition. And we need what he can offer. We need both of them. You put both of them into a midfield with Trent and uh, and Alexis. And I genuinely think that is 
the type of midfield that you can have together for a long, long time. And the thing is, they're flexible as well. You can play them in this box. You could play them in a in a flat three with, with Kefren on the right, Kone as the six, and McAllister on the left. You could play them as a two with a ten, and the ten could be either McAllister or Turam with the other two with, with Kone and the other one behind. You could play them as a as a double pairing in midfield with someone else on the right and play Alex on the left if you wanted to play a midfield four. I just think they give you great flexibility. And the prices going around for both of them, 35 million for Kone and 45 for Turam. If we can get the two of them for less than the cost of Jude Bellingham, I mean, there's just no way anybody could be upset. If we got, well, no, there, I shouldn't say that. There's, There's no way any upset. rational person could be upset <laughs> if we signed those two rather than spending all our money on Jude. Hmm. Yeah, I think it has to be priority. One is rebuild that midfield. and Those two are very, very good fits. And they're very close friends. And they're 22. And they haven't even begun to scratch the surface of what they can become. So, yeah, go and get them. And maybe... Maybe they develop into our versions of Fernandinho and Yaya Toure because they've got the talent to do it. They're young enough to do it and we've got the coaching staff to do it. So why not? Right. Last part. Any names that haven't been linked with the Reds yet that you would like to see us pursue this summer? This is the last question of the day. Yes. Who? Kylian Mbappe. (laughs) Um, oh god I mean like yes there are but not to the extent I don't think that I think we absolutely have to go and get this player and this is the only one this is something that we speak about every year right when when we're linked to players and then they don't come recently last couple of years the best example of it is Timo Werner right my point is there's always someone else always 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 apart from in a very very small couple of cases where maybe there is an actual elite sort of level talent. You've just made the case like Mason Mount, and we might appear to Alexis, San- uh, Alexis Sanchez, Alexis McAllister. Now, no way to know across the course of four years which one of them is actually going to be better or do more or achieve more or who would have been better. But you have different options there mm-hmm. of two very good players who can do very similar sorts of roles and maybe one of them's a better fit than the other or costs a little bit less or is more happy to go to you or the wages fit you better or whatever the reason is but there is always someone else if you don't get Timo Werner go and get someone else the only thing I think that matters really this summer is that we don't get nobody if we don't get the first one that we wanted then we say well we're going to wait until next year and see about it then and see if they're available then because he's the one we want if we do that we're, we're looking at 10th next season yeah. because we're already at that point and you're losing players so you have to replace the ones you're definitely losing and you have to be better than you were to begin with so we can't afford to do what we have done over the last few years or over the last few transfer windows and I get it at the time why we did it but that is only gettable if you follow through and do the rest of it and we didn't you know, we didn't fi- find the centre-back that we wanted that summer or the following one until we got uh, Kanate the following year. It was already too late by then. Mm. And we've already... been trying to play catch-up ever since. Exactly. And then with the, with the forwards, you could argue we started to do that as well, like at least one year too late, if not one window too late or whatever. 
Um, and we got fortunate, basically, when we could get Diaz halfway through the year. And even that only really because we're in a position to give um, the advance money, basically, that they needed at the time. So we can't do that again this year. The midfield is too important. The midfield, in fact, is, is the most important. Other than the fact that we already have Alisson and otherwise the goalkeeper would be most important, the midfield is most important to Liverpool and the way that we want to play. So there's no possibility this time to say, well, we didn't get the one that we wanted and therefore we're getting nobody. Yeah, I agree. And like, the thing to remember as well, like, let's say we, we bring in McAllister and let's say next season he gets seven goals and four assists in the Premier League, right? Just, just as an example. And let's say Mount goes to United and he gets 12 goals and nine assists. That doesn't mean Mason Mount would have been a better signing for us than Alexis, because as Carol said, it's about fit. It's about how that player fits into how you play and what they can offer as an all-rounder, especially in midfield. And Alexis, to me, just fits better for what we need and what we want to be. I also think he's got the stronger mentality of the two. I don't know why I just do. I feel like he does. I could be wrong. Maybe he doesn't, but I feel like he does. Mount is a very good player. And I wouldn't have been disappointed with the signing of Mount. But I think McAllister and the likes of Turam and Kone, if if the plan was we're going to spend $130 million on Bellingham and Mount, and we come out having spent $130 million on Turam, Kone and McAllister, I think we'll have spent our money better. Yeah, definitely, so, definitely, definitely, definitely. Do you know? And that's that's really what it comes down to. And just because, and here's the other thing, if we do sign Romeo Lavia, and let's say we also signed Armel Belakotchuk, but United go out and they sign Kim Min Jae, that doesn't mean they've spent their money better. It just means that they've been attracted by a bigger name. As we've proven in the past, we went and signed Andy Robertson from relegated Hull, and immediately Twitter was up in arms. And then when he didn't start the season, Twitter was up in arms. Oh, they're forcing another player on Klopp that he didn't want. And how stupid did those people end up looking? It's not always about what they've done. It's about what they do when they get here. In the same way with Timo Werner, one of my most hated things is when people say, oh, we dodged a bullet there. Just because a player doesn't do well elsewhere doesn't mean they wouldn't have done well with us. Likewise, just because a player moves somewhere else and we didn't make the move you thought we should have, and they did brilliantly, it doesn't necessarily mean they would have done as well with us because it's about fit. It's about personality. It's about how they integrate and mesh into the squad. Like I said the other day, or well, about two weeks ago on Twitter, I'd still take Kai Havertz at Liverpool because I think he could be brilliant under the right manager in the right system. Now, I don't necessarily think that this new system suits him perfectly. But I think Kai Havertz is brilliant. I just think he's been badly managed by Chelsea. He arrived under Lampard, who's a PE teacher. Then he played under Tuchel. There's a reason people were calling him Tuchelban, because his football was offensive on the eye, which didn't help Kai. 
And then he worked under Potter, who had no earthly idea what he was doing. And then he worked under Lampard again. What's he meant to do? Plus, he's been played out of position for almost the entire time he's been there. Like, just because it hasn't worked out there doesn't mean it wouldn't work out with us. Salah didn't work there. De Bruyne didn't work there. And look what they've gone on to do. So don't judge players because they have a rough time at one club and say, oh, bullet dodged or, again, oh, we should have gone and got him. It doesn't work like that. Right, Carl, we'll leave it there. Is there anything else you want to hit before we go or do you have anything to plug? I think we've covered a lot of ground there. Um, Prior to the Champions League final, I will have a piece out on Andre Onana if people want to read that. Uh, There's loads of of end-of-season stuff uh, across the Indy on various different things. And for This is Anfield, I will also be doing a few uh, end-of-season reviews of four different players and I'm not really sure what days they come out. So you'll have to keep checking. Obviously, the site as a whole will be doing all of them, but I've just got four players. Cool. There you go, folks. Make sure you follow Carl on Twitter at Carl to keep up to date with his latest work. Follow Young Drinkle at Guy Drinkle and uh, don't just leave me alone. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.